morning. Because I know not everybody can make it to Sunday school. Not everybody can make it to Wednesday night services. I've taught through the book of Revelation on Sunday school and Wednesday night services, but never have preached through it. And this gives you an opportunity if you're able to make it in here on a Sunday morning service that uh, I'm not preaching every Sunday on the book of Revelation, but I'm making it about every other Sunday. It's going to take us a while to go through the next four chapters, at least the next three chapters. Revelation 12, 13, 14 are very, very deep. There's a lot of stuff in there, and I don't want to skip over. It's just too good. Look at Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. And this is John, and he's recording this, and he says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his head, his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she at the place prepared of God that she should be feed, that she should feed her excuse me that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as I come to you humbly, Father, I thank for these people, Lord, that come on out here this morning, Father. They could be anywhere else, but they chose to come into your house, Lord. And I pray you bless them for that, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit will lead and guide and direct us this morning into all truth, Lord God. I pray these. These words will come off this page to us, Lord God. And I do pray, Father, you know my heart, that if there's somebody underneath the sound of my voice that they don't know if they're saved, they don't know for sure if they're going to heaven, Lord, I pray, Father, that when we give them the invitation, Lord, they'll come on down here and get that straightened out, get that right, Lord God, so they can know. And we can show them out of the Bible the way they can know, Lord. And I thank you for those promises we find in your book. Thank you for the prophecies. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. So we're going to be back up at verse 1. We're going to be back up at verse 1, but I want to show you what I got here on the board to kind of help you understand. So the first four accounts of the first coming of Jesus Christ are recorded in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's four biographical accounts of the first coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So with the book of Revelation, which is all about the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's going to give you four separate accounts. And the first account starts at the seven seals. That was chapters 6 through 8. So we went through that. We went through the seven seals. And then the seven trumpets. And we've gone through the seven trumpets. That's chapters 8 through 11. And then there'll be the seven, seven personages. That's chapters 12 through 14. And that's what we're going to be on now. And then finally, it'll be the seven vials. That's chapter 15 through 19. And then chapter 19, that's when Jesus comes back. <laughs> Praise God. But the seven personages, what I did, I wrote this up here, seven personages, because what you're going to see through chapters 12 and 14, as is, uh, it's a retelling of the second coming of Jesus Christ. It goes through seven seals. That's the four horsemen. You hear people talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You'll find those in the seven seals. The seven trumpets is the tr angels blowing the trumpets and all God's wrath being poured out. Seven personages, what we're going to find out as we study this together in the next three or four weeks or so, is that you're going to see there's seven different personages found in chapters 12 through 14. You're going to see a sun-clothed woman. You're going to see a red dragon. 
You're going to see a man-child. I've already read about those this morning. You're going to see an archangel. That'll be Michael the archangel. You're going to see a Jewish remnant running from the Antichrist. You're going to see a beast come out of the sea. That'd be the Antichrist. And I'll, I'll, I'll preach all this and show you why we know this. And then number seven will be the beast out of the earth, which will be a false prophet. That's the mysterious one. But I gave this outline up there to help, kind of help you follow along. So Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. So she's got the sun, she's clothed in the sun, and the moon's under her feet, and upon her head is a crown of twelve stars. A very interesting image, a personage that John sees. He sees a symbology there. And she, verse 2, it says, She being with child cried, travailing of birth, and pain to be delivered. Now who is this woman? Now, first off, when you first read this, you might assume that this woman is Mary, Jesus' mother Mary. But when you put Scripture to Scripture, you'll see that who this woman really is, and it makes more sense when you know and you identify this woman through Scripture, because when you identify this woman for who she really is, later in Scripture, it goes, oh, okay, that makes sense. It doesn't make much sense to call her Mary in that sense. So look at, keep your hand here, but turn to Genesis chapter 37. Scripture to Scripture. You always interpret the Bible with the Bible. That's how, you do, that's how you do interpretations. You do the interpretation through the Bible. So look at Genesis chapter 37, all the way to the first book of the Bible. We're at the last book of the Bible. Let's go all the way to the first book of the Bible. Genesis. And this is the story of Joseph, the great story of Joseph. And Joseph has dreams, and he, ha he keeps having these dreams that everybody's going to bow down to him. But look at Genesis chapter 37. Look at verse 9. And this is talking about Joseph. And he dreamed yet another dream. He would be Joseph in here. He dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun, there it is, and the moon, there it is, and the eleven stars. He would be the twelfth star, okay? He would be the twelfth star. But there's eleven stars, the sun, the, the, sun, the moon, made obstinate to me. It means they bow down to me, to Joseph. And, of course, that prophecy came true. Verse 10, And he told to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I, that would be his father, that would be uh, uh, Jacob, and shall I and my mother Rachel and thy brethren, the brothers, the eleven other brothers, indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth. So the Bible interpretation of that is, the son there represents Jacob, the star, I mean, the moon there represents Rachel, and all the stars, those 11 stars, represents the 12 tribes, or the 11 tribes of Israel, the, 12, the 11 brothers. So knowing that, now that we go back to Revelation 12, go back to Revelation chapter 12, let's interpret this with Scripture, and now we can understand what John's seeing here. What he's seeing here is he's seeing Israel. At verse 1, and a woman clothed with the sun, that would be Jacob, and the moon, that would be Rachel, under her feet. And upon her head a crown of twelve stars. That would be the twelve tribes or twelve sons of, of Jacob, the twelve tribes of Israel. This woman obviously is Israel. And Israel, verse 2, gives birth to Jesus Christ. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. Now why am I saying this? Because the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, will say that that verse uh, 1 is Mary. The mother of Jesus Christ. So you'll go to, uh, you'll even go here in Brown. We'll go to different 
places and you'll see statues of Mary and they have her with 12 crowns. They call her the Queen of Heaven and they'll have her with 12 stars and a crown and she'll have a moon under her feet and she'll be real bright, shining and they'll say, see, that's a, that they get, they're getting that, that statue, they're getting that image of that statue from Revelation 12, 1. But that's not Mary, this is Israel. And the reason why you know is back in verse 6, look down at verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness. When did Mary fly into the wilderness? Where she hath placed prepared to God that she should feed that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. As we go through this rest of this chapter, you're going to find out that 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 woman that woman represents Israel, and that's a Jewish remnant. I put it up on the board. That's Israel, the Jewish remnant, running from the Antichrist when he comes after him in the tribulation period, and we'll get a little deeper into that. Uh, I was in uh, going towards Burnet. Yesterday, I was near Lano and Burnett yesterday, and there was a Catholic church there, and it was, what was it called? The Mother of Our Sorrows or the Lady of Our Sorrows Catholic Church? I thought, man, that's kind of a sad name to put on there. We should put on, on our church the Brokeback Mom of Indian Gap Baptist Church or something like that. I'm just, I'm just messing around. <laughs> Trying to lighten it up in here. All right, so look at, look at verse 2. And being with child, cried travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. Well, we know that she's about to give birth to the man-child. But look at verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Uh-oh. And behold, a great red dragon. This red dragon is Satan. Is our adversary Satan, the devil. That's what that red dragon is. It's a Leviathan. Notice having seven heads and ten horns. It's a Leviathan. And seven crowns upon his heads. Now, those crowns, I'm going to preach on those in Revelation uh, 13, so I'm not going to touch on them now. We'll get back to those and I'll explain what those crowns are and the leaders and everything that's involved with the Antichrist and with Satan himself. But you see this red dragon is there and he's going to devour. He wants to get a hold of this woman. He wants to get a hold of this man-child being born. But look at verse 4. And his tail, the tail of that red dragon, Satan, drew the third part of the stars of heaven. Now the stars in Revelation are always angels. So he pulls, he pulls down these stars of heaven. He pulls down these stars of heaven out of heaven. I mean, I, I, the, the tail, his tail, the dragon's tail, drew the third part of the stars of heaven. Those are fallen angels that you find in Genesis 6 that you're going to find now. So the devil has took, when he, the devil rebelled out of heaven, he took a bunch of angels with him. He took a third part of his angels, of God's angels with him, and they rebelled. That's what you're seeing up in the sky today. You're seeing this angelic, either demonic or angelic activity, fallen angels moving around in the heavens. And he drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. She wanted, he wanted to kill that man-child. Because he knows this Christ, verse 5, and she, Israel, through Mary, Mary gave birth to Jesus Christ, but in context, this is Israel, she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron. Who does that sound like? That sounds like Jesus Christ. And her child was caught up unto God, that sounds like Jesus Christ, and to his throne. Sounds like Jesus Christ, he's sitting at the right hand of God as, as I speak this, mo this morning. That's a, a prophecy of, of Jesus Christ being born of, a, born of, a, born of, a, of Israel, going to rule the world with a rod of iron. He's going to do that. He's not doing it now. He's going to rule all nations. He's going to do that now and, and later on. But he's caught up to God and to his throne. Now, verse 6. And the woman, that would be Israel, fled into the wilderness where she had the place prepared of God 
and I'll talk about this later, it's a place called Petra, and I'll, I'll show you that, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. So this woman, Israel's going to flee from the Antichrist. So when you break down this tribulation period, what the world talks about is a tribulation period, I'm going to draw a line. So in, in tribulation, right before the tribulation period takes place, there's a rapture. Jesus Christ comes and gets back people who belong to him. And I'm going to put a little bubble here, and that bubble here is going to represent a seven-year period. I'm going to kind of just scratch it out. That's a seven-year period. And then after that seven-year period, Jesus Christ is going to come back. The battle of Armageddon takes place. He's going to wipe out the Antichrist and all his, all his cronies, and then he's going to rule, rule the world for a thousand years. That's a millennial kingdom. That's what you're reading about, ruling the, ruling the nations with a rod of iron. The Bible prophesied that it'll be a rod of iron. But there's a seven-year period in there that we call the tribulation period. But in that seven-year period, it's split in three and a half years. It's split in three and a half years. The first three and a half years, or 42 months, looks like it's going to be kind of peaceful. The Antichrist takes over. He starts doing things in the world system. Not everybody's happy with it, but he makes a peace agreement with Israel. He, he, he builds the third temple. He gets everything like he wants it. And then right through, about halfway through, it looks like he gets assassinated. And I'll show you that in Revelation 13. He gets a deadly wound to the head. And after that, he resurrects and he becomes what we know as the Antichrist. When, you, when I say the Antichrist, he becomes full-blown the devil incarnate. And that's when he starts killing people, cutting off their heads. You've got to take the mark of the beast. He starts driving Jerusalem. That's the last three and a half years. So we just got through, uh, and then Jesus Christ comes back. So we just got through, I just got through preaching through Revelation 11. And that's the last three and a half years Moses and Elijah shows up. Then they get, they get it in the neck. And they're laying in Jerusalem, and they resurrect. So you're seeing there in verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had the place prepared of God, that they should feed her there. Look, a thousand two hundred and three score days. One thousand two hundred sixty days, that's uh, three and a half years. So the last three and a half years, she's running, and, and she's in this wilderness, and she's being miraculously fed by God. So when we were studying this morning in Sunday school, and we studied about the, the five thousand fed when, God, when Jesus Christ had the five loaves and the two fishes and he fed over 5,000 people. Miraculous. It's recorded in all four Gospels. One of the reasons it's recorded in all four Gospels is because that's going to take place again in Petra where Israel is going to hide out from the devil and going to go down south of Israel and it's going to hide out down there and, and Satan and Antichrist can't get a hold of her and the Jewish people are going to be hiding out down there and God's going to be feeding them miraculously. Look at Micah chapter 7. Micah Chapter 7. Now, don't feel bad. You're probably going to have to look in your index to find Micah. It's one of the old, it's one of the, it's, it's one of the minor prophets. It's at the end of the Old Testament. If you want some help, if you find Jonah, it's right after Jonah. <laughs> That's not going to help you. I'm just picking on you when I say that. It's right before Nahum, Is that helps you out any. You're probably going to have to look in your index. But look at Micah chapter 7, and if you can't find it, just, just hang tight. I'm going to read it to you. Because I'm going to show you some strange things out of your Bible. I'm going to show you some strange things out of your Bible. Keep your hand in Revelation because we're going to come back to Revelation. But look at Micah chapter 7 verse 14. There's some prophecies about this. It says, feed thy people with thy rod. Keep that in mind with thy rod. 
The flock of thine heritage, which dwell solitary in the wood in the midst of Carmel, let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. Notice verse 15. According to the days of thy coming out of the land of Egypt will I show unto him marvelous things. So that right there, verse 15, prophesies that there's going to be a time, just like it happened in the days of, of coming out of Egypt, that he's going to feed them. See that verse 14? He's going to feed them, but just verse 15, according to the days of thy coming out of the land of Egypt. What happened when they came out of the land of Egypt? Well, they come out of the land of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. There's no water. There's no food. They're hiding out. They're running from Pharaoh. So what did God do? God brought this thing down from heaven called manna. And manna, if you say the word manna, you're speaking Hebrew. Because manna in the Hebrew simply means, what is it? Because <laughs> they went outside and there was a little round thing. It was kind of white. It was round about that size. And it would lay on there. It would lay on the ground like dew. And they would gather it up. And God says, okay, you can gather it up six days. But on the sixth day, you, need, you don't be gathering it up on the Sabbath. What I want you to do is gather up twice as much as you need. And it will keep up. For that, but they had to go gather every day. Like if they gathered too much, if they got real greedy and gathered up on a Monday morning, they gathered up a whole bunch because they want to save it for a couple of days, it would rot that night. They had to go out every morning and gather up that manna. You know what that speaks to you, Christian? You need to go to the Word of God every morning and read the Word of God and let God feed you every morning. First thing in the morning, let God feed you. That's what that speaks to. But it was a weird thing. Let me show you. Let me show you how weird it really was. Turn to Psalm 74. Let's turn to Psalm 74. I'll show you how weird it was. Maybe y'all have noticed this. I don't know. I know when I first read, through this, read this in my Bible, I'm like, what did I just read? That's some of the weirdest stuff I've ever read. So Psalm 74, look at verse, uh, look at verse 13. Psalm 74, verse 13. Talking about Israel, and they're hiding out in the wilderness, and they're hiding out from the Antichrist as he's trying to kill them. Look at verse 13. Talking about coming out, in, out of Egypt, and look, thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. Okay, that's the Red Sea. Remember it parted and they walked across on dry land? Look at this. Thou breakest the heads, plural, of the dragons in the waters. We just read about a red dragon that had, had seven heads. Look at verse 14 though. Here's the weirdest one. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. What were they eating? What is it? I don't know. It's floating down. It's showing up in the morning. It's white. What is it? Well, the Bible's saying... Something's going on where he's breaking up the head of Leviathan, the heads of Leviathan. Remember, multiple heads of Leviathan, that red-headed, that red dragon, the heads of Leviathan in pieces, and gave us him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Now, I can't explain all that you're seeing that I'm reading to you right there. I can't explain all that. But the way it describes it, it's like this dragon's up in the air, and the angels are, somebody or God or somebody's hitting this angel, this dragon, and it's, this, the it stuff's floating down, and it's coming down on, on the ground, and they're coming out there and eating it, and they don't know what it is. And it's describing, and right there it says in the Bible, Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan pieces, and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. All right, that's strange enough. Look at Psalm 78. I'll show you something even stranger. <laughs> 
You, so, so the church is full this morning, so I'm going to have some of the strangest teaching you can find, you know. They're gonna, people, y- y'all might have never come into this church this morning. Might be the first time you uh, come in, you're like going to leave here going, what in the world is that bald-headed preacher even talking about? He said, that's the weirdest stuff I ever did. But at least I'm showing you it's in the Bible, amen. I mean, it's in the Bible. Now, am I describing exactly what it is? I don't know, but I'm showing you that it tells you. Verse 24, look at Psalm 78, verse 24. Talking about verse 23, get the context. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven... Open the doors of heaven, look at verse 24. Had rained down manna upon them to eat, there it is, and had given them of the corn of heaven. All this is coming from heaven. Verse 25, man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. Whatever that manna was, which means what is it, what is it, whatever it was that was laying there, that white round thing that would melt away when the sun hit it, that set on the ground, whatever it was, he says that's angels' food. It's kind of white. It's kind of what we call angel's food cake. You've had some of my grandmothers would make angel's food cake. I've tasted some people's grandmothers' angel food cake. That's what that is right there, angel's food. It's kind of a type of that. What is it? I'm showing you the verses. Y'all go home and y'all, y'all meditate on that right there. All right, back in Revelation chapter 12. He's going to feed them. He's going to feed them manna. And what is it? I don't know what manna was, but I got some ideas. Has something to do with Leviathan. Has something to do with the Lord God striking Leviathan, and it floating down. It says it's angels' food, but He's going to feed them there. It's going to be a miraculous feeding. So let's go back up to verse seven, Revelation twelve, verse seven. Revelation twelve, verse seven. There was a war in heaven. Uh oh, Star Wars. Michael, that'd be Michael the archangel, and I have that written up here on, on the board. Michael the archangel and his angel. Archangel just means a, he's just a chief angel. Michael the archangel and his angels. So Michael and God and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought in his angels. The devil has his angels. The world forgets that. The world forgets that. You know what Paul said about angels? He said if, if a man, he said if an angel or a man from heaven come down and preach any other gospel, let them be cursed. There's only one true gospel. So you have somebody like the Mormons who were started by Joseph Smith, that he's in the wilderness, and maybe it really happened. I don't know. I have my doubts, but maybe Joseph Smith did go in the wilderness. Maybe he did find these these golden tablets, but he claims that an angel showed up and said, I'm going to give you these golden tablets. Well, guess what? Those golden tablets, the Book of Mormon, they preach a different gospel. The devil has his angels. So if you were to go home tonight and an angel appear to you, you don't know for sure if it's God's angels or the devil. The devil has his own angels. Look at verse 8. And prevailed not, and neither was their place found any more in heaven. Where's the devil and his angels at? Well, they have access to heaven. You just read it right there. They're up in heaven. They have access to heaven. And the devil and Michael are fighting, and Michael kicks them out and prevails against them. And they have no more place in heaven. Verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, cast out of heaven. That old serpent... Remember the Garden of Eden? Called the devil, capital D, the devil. And Satan, Satan means adversary, which deceiveth the whole world. That's the devil's whole job is to deceive the whole world. Do you have any friends or loved ones, family, I don't know who, maybe co-workers, that you try to talk to them about Jesus Christ, and you're like, man, they're just, man, if there's any bad Kool-Aid, they're drinking that bad Kool-Aid. They just, every, why can't they get it? Why can't, well, they're deceived. 
You know who deceived them? The devil. Through the world. And deceiveth the whole world. Brothers and sisters, before I got saved, I was deceived. I was into the occult. I was, uh, I'm not going to tell you everything I was doing, but I was doing some really wicked stuff before I found Jesus Christ. And there was some power in that stuff. There's some power in that occult. There was some power in that witchcraft. There was some power in that Satanism. And I was seeing some of that, but I knew there was something else there. And I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was going to have to pay for my sins. And when I heard the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I knew, number one, I was a sinner. I knew, number two, I was going to hell. And hell was a real place. But the good news was that Jesus Christ paid for my sins and I could get out of hell and get into heaven thanks to him and his precious blood on the cross. And I took that free gift through faith and he saved me. Satan, which deceived the whole world, he was cast out into the earth and the angels were cast out with him. They're up in heaven, they're up messing around in heaven and the Bible's about to tell you what they were doing in heaven and then they're cast down onto the earth. And we'll get into that next time I preach the rest of Revelation 12, what that means. Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ for the accuser. Satan is an accuser. Of our brethren. That's brethren in Christ. Is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. What's the devil doing right now? People have this idea that when you say devil, they think he's down in hell with a pitchfork and <laughs> has the horns and everything else. Don't fool yourself. He's up in heaven right now. He's accusing God for me. I thought Kigan belonged to you. Look what he's doing. <laughs> I thought he belonged to you. And you know who's sitting on his other side? is a man named Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And he stands up and he says, I'll take care of him. He belongs to me. See, this stuff's real. People forget about it. I, I say this all the time about the book of Revelation. It's not hard to understand it. What makes it hard is to believe it. Go all the way back to Job. If, you, if you're still following along the Bible with me, go back to Job. This is nothing new. Job chapter 1, verse 6. This is described in the book of Job. People talk about Job, the patience of Job, and how Job had the patience and all that. But what they forget is what happened originally was Job, everything was going all right with Job, and he was living a good, holy, righteous life, as righteous as a man can live. And then God pointed him out to Satan. Look at Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God, that'd be God's angels, God's created beings, the sons of God, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So all of God's angels come in and they're reporting to God and here comes Satan right along with them. Because what? You know, who's under, you know who Satan has to answer to? The Lord God. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walk, walking up and down in it. Peter describes that Satan walks around on this earth like a roaring lion looking whom he can devour. He wants to get you. He wants to eat you. And that's what Satan's describing the Lord while I'm walking on the earth to and fro. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfectly upright man, one that feareth God and screweth evil? Man, I wish... <laughs> There's the Lord saying, Hey, have you thought about Job? He's over there. He's doing pretty good over there. I'm like, No, no, Lord, don't, don't tell Satan nothing about me. <laughs> no, no, no. Talk about him over there. He's doing a lot better job. What is, Satan knows about him, though. Look at verse 9. 
Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Satan didn't say, Job who? Satan, his cronies, his devils, they know everybody in this room that's born again. Everybody. And they know about you. And they're out to get you. And they want you. And the only thing keeping them from getting you is the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living in you. You're not reading Acts when they went to, those, those unsaved Jews went to try to exercise that demon out of that, that demon, that demon possessed man. And they go into that room and they say, we tell you to come out of this man by the name of, of Jesus that Paul preacheth. And what did that demon say? I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? <laughs> and that demon jumped on them and ripped their clothes off and sent them out of the house naked. The devil knows, everybody in this room, the devil knows if you're saved or not, as much as Jesus knows. Who do you belong to? That's a good question. I belong to Jesus Christ. He's my lawyer. Verse 10, Hast thou not made a hedge about him? This is Satan talking. About his house, about all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. That's what Satan says. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord right then. As soon as the Lord allowed him, Satan took off out of heaven and went right down there and killed it. Took all of Satan, uh, took all of Job's children, took all of Job's land, took all of Job's cattle. And all things left was Job and his wife. And then chapter 2 shows up, and in chapter 2, same thing happens. Satan shows up. Does it again. He goes, well, this time, let me go down and let me, let me touch his flesh. Because man will give anything to be healthy. And God allows it that to happen. So you're seeing, this, this is a recording of what it's talking about. Go back to Revelation 12. So this is a recording of what it's been going, this Job is a recording of what you're seeing going on here in Revelation 12 where it says Satan has accused the brethren day and night. If he's not accusing you, brothers and sisters, he's got one of his cronies up there, one of his fallen angels to do it for him. He's accusing God about you day and night. I thought he belonged to you. Look at how he acts. Look at how she acts. Look at what they said. Look at what she said. That's all he's doing. That's all they're doing. It's a trial going on day and night. Look at this. End of verse 10. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. <laughs> well, how do I get past that, Brother Keegan? Look at the next verse. And they, that's us, believers, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. You've got to plead the blood. You've got to plead the blood. That's how you're going to get saved. I take Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I believe that he died for my sins. You're putting your faith in that precious blood that was shed on the cross for your sins. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. What's the word of their testimony? I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's a testimony. Can you give that testimony this morning? I think one of the strongest testimonies I've heard of, I mean, to me personally, is in Columbine when those two boys went in there shooting up that school in Columbine and they were killing everybody. And they found this one girl and she was hiding on the desk and they said, are, are, you, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? She said, yes, I'm a Christian. And they shot and killed her right there. And I've always thought about that. It's like if somebody pulled a gun on me and put it to my head, would I say, are you a Christian? What would I say? Would I have enough guts like that, you little girl, to say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, knowing that they're about to shoot that gun off? 
She did. They overcame him by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives. They loved not their lives to the death. There's something worth dying for in this world, and that something worth dying for is Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that you're supposed to go just throw yourself off a cliff or go throw yourself in front of a gun, but there's something worth giving your life up for. And it's the reason why Jesus Christ is worth all that is because he did shed his blood for us, the blood of the Lamb. Now I want to close this real quick in 1 John. Just turn to the left in 1 John. And I'm going to show you just a few things, and then we're going home. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. So I've done some pretty stupid things in my life. Real stupid things. And the only difference between me and some of the people up at Gatesville is I never got caught. That's the only difference. But I've had some friends. I've done some really stupid things too, and they did get caught. And one of the things they always say to each other is this. You need to get a good lawyer. <laughs> now, I had a good lawyer, and he passed away. I need to get another good lawyer <laughs> on this earth. It's always good to have a good lawyer. You have one in Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, that's John writing, the same one that wrote the book of Revelation. This is after he wrote the book of Revelation. He's writing this. My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, are you a sinner in here? I know I am. I can give an amen to that. I'm a sinner. I, make, I do some sin. If any man sin, we have an advocate. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. An advocate. He's an advocate. It's basically a lawyer. You have an adversary, amen. He's an accuser. He's an adversary. If you have an adversary, therefore you need an advocate. That way when, you're at, when the adversary, the defense attorney, I mean the, the prosecuting attorney, Satan, is standing before God in judgment. And he's saying, he's a wicked. Look at what he's doing. I thought he belonged to you. And that, that prosecuting attorney is just laying into me. I have an advocate. I have a lawyer that will stand up on my side and say, I'll defend him. I'll defend him. What? You not only have a good Savior in Jesus Christ, you've got a good lawyer in Jesus Christ. So how do I overcome, Pastor? That's always bothered me in the book of Revelation. Because I read that, yeah, you overcome by the blood of the Lamb. But there's other places in, book, in, in, in the book of Revelation that says, and they overcame, and they overcame, and he who, he who overcomes, he who overcomes. And as a Christian, I'm like, man, have I overcome? Because I know as a Christian, I've failed in so many, time, so many ways. I've failed my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I've failed my family. I've failed my co-workers. I mean, I'm a failure in a lot of different ways. And to think, oh, have you overcome? It's like, man, that speaks to like doing something I can't do. If you're going to expect me to do something, uh, feed the poor or, or, or go to church so many times or, or, or whatever you want me to do, God, I don't, know if I, can do, I don't know if I can overcome that. Look at 1 John chapter 5. and Here's the answer to that. There's an answer, man. When, when you find the answer in the Bible, it gives you such peace. 1 John chapter 5, and we're closing. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, we're closing. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcome the world. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. I'm born of God. Because there was a time I put my faith in Jesus Christ and I became born again, a spiritual birth. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, 
even our faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ. Our faith in what? In the church? Our faith in man? Our faith in, our faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world? Who is it, Lord? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe? You know, the Bible says the devils believe and tremble with fear. It's not enough to believe. Maybe you've heard of this man, Jesus Christ, all your life. You've been in church. Maybe you've heard people talk about Jesus Christ. But have you ever really put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? It's one thing to say, oh, that guy's got a good lawyer, but have you ever called that lawyer and said, hey, I need some help. I'm in some deep trouble. And that lawyer said, I'll take you on. That's a good feeling. You get the best lawyer in the world and be able to call that lawyer and say, hey, I'm in some deep trouble. I've done this and I've done that. And the lawyer says, you know what? I'll take care of you. I'll get you out of it. And this is the lawyer that can do it. But you don't have that lawyer until you make that call. Amen? you got to make that call. you got to call out to him. you got to say, Lord Jesus Christ, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm going to hell in these sins. Will you please save me? And you know what's interesting? I've never known Jesus Christ not to save somebody. Ever. I've been around a lot of people who are praying to ask Jesus Christ to save them, and every one of them get up with a smile on their face and get up knowing they're saved. I love to tell this story, but one time there's a... 13-year-old girl, she come down, and she's talking to me about getting saved. And I said, well, let's get down, let's pray about it. And she come down to the altar, and she got down and was praying. And I heard her praying a sweet prayer, in it, you know, just a sweet prayer, asking Jesus Christ to save her. And we got up, and we got up off there, and she turned to me, and she, she looked at me, and she says, it just feels so good. All I could say is amen. It just feels so good to be saved by Jesus Christ. Are you saved? Hello friends, this is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. 
It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him